Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. The Iron Women Podcast is proud to be supported by Zelios Skincare. Zelios products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, swim and sport shower products, and body lotion. You can get 20% off at teamzelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios order with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, happy new year. Happy 2020. How's it going? I'm a little bit like nervous. We haven't been podcasting for a couple weeks. Do you feel rusty? Do you feel out of practice? Have you not talked enough in the last two weeks since, since I haven't been around to hear all your stories? I don't think so. My vocal cords need some exercising. That's for sure. So everyone will have to excuse me if I'm stumbling through things today, but I am nervous, but excited to be back. I saw that you did a little fishing over your break. I, I was stalking you a little bit on social media, which as, as you do, you're fun to follow. How was the fishing over break? And tell me about this. Is this your new sport? Are we going to add a fourth sport to, uh, is there like extreme or ultra endurance fishing? Is that a thing? A thing? I wish. So there actually is a woman who set a uh, FKT either last year or the year before it was like 14 fish on 14ers or something. I think she like climbed mountains in Colorado and then fished at every like mountain too. And she had to catch a fish before she go to the next one. It was actually a really cool thing. I should dig that up and then put that in the show notes for people. There's a little article on it, which is cool. But anyway, I do love fishing. It's like a weird hobby. I've not really developed because I spend all my time swim biking and running, but that I spend maybe like one or two days a year getting to do. And so yes, I took a couple days. I was down at the beach and I caught nothing. I was basically 
feeding the ocean fish, the shrimp that was like I was trying to use for bait. Um, so they all got a lot of snacks and I got zero fish, which is honestly, it's fine with me because I kind of feel like I do it because it's like another competitive outlet for me in some other way just to do something when I'm, you know, feeling like I'm on a little vacation. Um, I also took up a top golf habit. I don't know if you've ever played top golf, Haley. I have. I have not recently, but I have. So once again, this was just something where I can just, you know, dump all my competitive energy into it. And I had a lot of fun doing that. So both of the both fishing and top golfing are added to the long list of things I will do a lot more of when I retire from endurance sports. <laughs> Not bad. I mean, those are fun things, fairly accessible. And fishing, I find you usually end up in a, like a beautiful location. Uh, like I haven't gone fishing in a very, very long time, even longer than it's been since I've played top golf, but I didn't catch anything on that last fishing trip either. But I do remember like walking in the river and it just was so beautiful and I loved being there. And I was actually really thankful that I didn't catch anything. Cause I don't know what I would have done with it if I did. Like I have no interest in eating fish. So there's that part of it. I, I would probably like prefer to fish with like no nothing on my line and just be like, I just pretend I'm out here. Like someone take some photos from my Instagram. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much I feel like how most fishing goes for like 99% of the population. So you're you're pretty much even with all of us. But what about you? What have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Well, I think I had a several week celebration of qualifying for the U.S. Olympic marathon trials and um, well, kind of ignoring the fact that I am running another marathon in under two months. So I spent a lot of time celebrating. I celebrated, you know, that run. I celebrated the holidays. I threw a little party, which was fun and something I don't do on a normal basis, but it is fun to see everyone outside of the pool or because as you can imagine, most of my friends are I meet at the pool. So, so then I'm like, Hey guys, let's have some food at my house. Actually, it's Haley and the lifeguards for your holiday party. Yes. <laughs> That's about right. So um, I definitely, you know, enjoyed a little bit. I have been running. Um, my body seems to have come back pretty well. So I'm starting to build up my run volume again, which is just as hard as it was last time. The weather has been pretty warm here in Bozeman. So I'm taking advantage of that. I mean, we still have snow, but warm for here. And I have been putting my spikes to work which means that I can, you know, the spikes that I put on my shoes, we've talked about this quite a bit so that I can run on any surface. And that's been pretty great. And, oh, and I logged back, back into Facebook, Alyssa. I had taken like a very long hiatus from Facebook and I logged back on. And I actually think that my new year's resolution is to do a little bit more on Facebook because there were so many kind people on there who'd left me like the nicest notes and messages that I and hadn't responded to. they were to. ignored. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I realized that it is like actually a really cool community. And I have a lot of friends that are on there that I wouldn't normally talk to and I hadn't talked to. And so that is one of my New Year's resolutions is to like spend a little bit more time on Facebook, on social media, like connecting with people that I like to connect with. It's hard. It's hard to like filter out like what's good for me mental health wise and what is too much or even physical health wise. Like if I'm going to hurt my eyeballs or something, but, um, so I don't, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on finding that balance, but for the most part, my re-entry into the world of social media was pretty pleasant. So apologies to everyone I hadn't responded to, but thank you again. I appreciated the messages. That's actually, that's super exciting that you are back on the social media. And Haley, I have found that I 
am a huge fan of like the unfollow and unfriend button if you need to. Like through my early years, I will say when I, I had been off of Facebook and then I got back onto Facebook just as I was like starting to build a career in triathlon because you needed to be on it, but yada, yada, yada. So I was like basically accepting all friend requests and like it had just gotten out of control to the point where I didn't know these people, you know? So in the last year or so, I've made a concerted effort to actually try and make it people that inspire me or are my true friends, like people that I know, or I have talked to at least once, or at least like, I feel like some one degree, maybe two degrees of separation to, you know, instead of just like a random person in another country that I have no idea who they ever are or if they're even real. Right. So I've really like kind of cut things back a lot on there and made it more of a closer circle. And I agree that it's, it can be a really good place and it can be full of like positive stuff and some inspirational stuff and hard stuff too, but it's a little better when it's like your community. Twitter as well. Twitter was another one that I I logged on to again. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. But the reason I logged off, it wasn't really a conscious decision. It was kind of conscious, but I broke my phone. I was using my sister's phone. It had no apps. So I kind of just like got out of the habit. And I think it's a little healthy that I was able to get out of the habit that quick. But at the same time, I realized I did miss some things. So Maybe there is a, there is a healthy side to social media, but that sounds that, that you sounds like you've found it. I'll, I'll be working toward that in 2020. Well, I thought about writing a blog post on that. So maybe I will, maybe I'll like actually figure out what my, my top tips are and I'll put that into a blog post for people and anything else. Do we, any, anything else exciting? Did you pick up any fun toys over the holiday? Anything like that? I don't think so. I'm trying, I got cowboy a sweater. Actually, my sister bought Cowboy a sweater and a hat. My Cowboy's a dog. If for any new listeners, Cowboy's my dog. Well, it's, he's technically my parents' dog, but I, we kind of share joint custody because I love him and I steal him occasionally. And he does not like wearing clothes. He has a lot of fur, but we made him wear a holiday sweater during my party. He was the life of the party and even would wear a hat for part of it. But part of the reason he would wear it was because people were feeding him a lot of cheese and <laughs> food he probably shouldn't have been eating so the next day cowboy kind of regretted it you could he had that like he was a little sad the next day and he, he laid around a lot but during the party I mean it was like all of us right during the party we were having the time of our lives next day we regretted a little but not not enough to never do it again maybe just enough to not do it again for another 12 months tis the season cowboy it's okay it happens to the best of us some of us have cheese hangovers it happens And Haley, we have some exciting things for the podcast happening in 2020. So as we take these episodes on in January, we will give you, our listeners, more information about our awesome sponsors that are on board for 2020. Um, And the first one that we're announcing is a returner. And we're very excited that Zelios will be returning to support us for 2020, which is great news. Alyssa, I actually recently had someone send me a text message asking if I knew of any like good shampoo and conditioner and body wash for swimmers. And I was like, of course, Zelio Skincare, they make, you know, products that are, are great. You know, they'll get the chlorine out, they'll get the chemicals out, but they are also very animal friendly, as in no cruelty on animals and testing, and then also environmentally friendly and a great company who sponsors the Iron Women podcast. So if you want to check out the 
shampoo, conditioner, body wash, body lotion, chamois cream, or sunscreen. If you are somewhere sunny this time of year and you need some sunscreen, definitely check, go to head to teamzelios.com. Use the discount code IRONWOMEN and support the great companies that support us. And Haley, our mailbag has been open. And so if anyone is just finding us, we do take mailbag questions during our episode. And you can send those into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll answer a few of them on each episode as we get them. Are you ready for the first mailbag question of 2020, Haley? Oh, wow. I think I'm ready. Yes. I've been, I've been waiting two weeks for this moment. So this is from Alana. And she registered for her first Ironman event, which will be Coeur d'Alene 70.3. And she wants to know if she'll see either of us there. So I have to say, I haven't planned that far, but I will remember Alana, if I put it on my schedule, we'll give you a shout out. So, you know, to look for me, but I know Haley, this is like, this is like one of your favorite events. Cause you're, it has you've to be like the closest, there. The, yeah, it's the closest thing I can get to a hometown race. So Alana, yes, I will probably be at Coeur d'Alene. I'm hopeful I'll be racing. If not, I will be there coaching, cheering. So definitely look for me, say hi, and hopefully I'll see you on course. And she actually, she did have another part of the question. That wasn't the whole question. So she is feeling confident in training and physical fitness for the race, but she has a terribly weak stomach. She's raced shorter distance triathlons and been able to get by with basically only powdered nutrition mixed into the water bottles, but she knows that's not enough for a half Ironman. What are our suggestions for beginning to train with nutrition? Where does she start? How does she know she's giving her body enough on race day? So Haley, I'm going to let you start so that she can tell you in person how it all works out for her when she sees you at, at, at Coeur d'Alene. So I think the first piece of advice I would, I would give Alana is to think about what kind of foods does she like to eat? Like what kind of foods can you eat on a daily basis that don't upset your stomach and start there. I mean, you can eat quite a bit of solid food on the bike and, if you're eating something that you like to eat, there chances are you're going to be able to get it down easier. So I would, you know, on the training rides, you have till the end of June, you're going to have a lot of training rides, practice eating things that you like to eat, figure out how, what is easiest to carry, or if there's a different form that makes it easier to carry. And that's where I would start as far as how much the, it depends on how long you're out there. I think the, the, targets I shoot for are about 300 calories an hour on the bike and 200 calories an hour on the run, which is the, it's hard. That's, that's actually hard. That's like a lot of calories. So if you're getting close to that, I think that you're doing really well. And I do a mixture of, um, of solid calories and liquid calories and gels, but it's mine has evolved over over years. I love using noon endurance on the bike, the the noon endurance flavor with uh with caffeine, the like strawberry lemonade flavor with caffeine. That's what's in my bottles because I I like to eat solid food on the bike and drink almost water just because I feel like I can I can take a something very sugary and then wash it down with noon endurance and I don't have any issues. I have had GI problems and I've in the past and noon endurance works really well for me. So I don't know if this answers your question, but basically experiment with things over the next six months. And if it doesn't work, at least it's just on a training ride. You're going to figure out pretty quick whether it works or doesn't work. I think. I think that's all really good advice. And the only thing I will add is that just to remember that like no one's stomach is perfect when you're 
going 70.3 miles and you're trying to, especially if you are trying to push hard and race really hard, you know, I think a lot of people will look at like the pros doing it and they'll be like, Oh, how do they stomach it? And like, what you don't see is that everyone's like really holding it together and like trying to keep everything in and it's hard and it's your stomach might cramp at some points. Your stomach might be like, things might be coming up and you're swallowing them back down. Right. But like, that's what happens to your body when you're eating and drinking and racing hard. So that's like a normal thing to happen, but you, so I guess learning that that can happen and not panic and think that the day is over because that's happening. Right. But then the more you practice eating and drinking, while you're training, the more you kind of wrap your head around the fact that like you can feel a little off and still be racing fine, still be, you know, riding fine, still be running fine, that kind of thing. And then it just kind of becomes something that almost like happens in the background once you get used to it, I would say. Um, you know, there's certainly like better and worse days, but um, just realizing that like it's it's one of the challenges of sport is to be able to fuel for that kind of event while you are racing hard. So realizing it's like a process for everyone and we're all out there trying to keep it together, I think is important. No one has like the perfect stomach. I even, I'll say I have like a really good stomach, but I'm, you know, trying to hold it together still. So it's just kind of what happens when you race. That is a good point. And that's also why I think even in days when I have a training run or ride or swim or something like that, and I eat something terrible that just doesn't work with me, that can turn into a learning, you know, a learning experience where it's like, okay, my stomach is upset. How do I keep myself going? What do I need to do? Is it, I need to get some fluids in me, wash this out. Is it, I need to go to the bathroom and then regroup and then get going again. And so use that, even though it's miserable in the moment, use that as a chance to learn. And hopefully you're able to pinpoint what that food is and not repeat it. But there's, you know, every experience has some value. And Alana, thank you for that question. And again, people can send mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Haley, who is our first interview for the 2020 Iron Women podcast season? Melissa, we have a great one to kick off the year. In April 2004, Melissa Stockwell was 24 years old, commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army, and three weeks into her deployment in Baghdad, Iraq, on April 13th, 2004, she was just minutes into a routine convoy and a roadside bomb struck her vehicle, ultimately resulting in the loss of her left leg above the knee and making her the first American woman to ever lose a limb in active combat. Fast forward to 2008 and Melissa accomplished another first when she qualified for the U.S. Paralympic swim team, becoming the first veteran of the Iraqi war to qualify for the Paralympics. Melissa competed in Beijing and proudly carried the American flag in those closing ceremonies. In 2016, she returned to the Paralympic stage, this time in the new Paralympic sport of paratriathlon. Melissa captured bronze in Rio and compete, completed a Team USA sweep with fellow Americans Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dance, who captured the gold and silver. So just to be clear here, we want to make sure that Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dance are the gold and silver Paralympic medalists from Rio we don't want you confused with your favorite podcast hosts, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura, who you're listening to right now. Alyssa, maybe someday we need to have 
the other Alyssa and Haley Seeley on the podcast. But going back to Melissa, we just talked to Melissa right after she had returned from New York last December, where she was honored by the United States Olympic Endowment alongside fellow Olympians Anita DeFrance and Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Melissa tells us about winning that award and her quest to make her third Paralympic team in Tokyo this summer. We'll have our conversation with Melissa right after the break. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I believe you are just home from New York City, where the United States Olympic Endowment presented you with the General Douglas MacArthur Exemplary Service Award. I did a little little research on the MacArthur Award, and the nominees are required to show both exemplary and prolonged service, leading to the recognition of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committees, Olympians and Paralympians. Past recipients include Gordy Crawford, the chairman of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Foundation, legendary sportscaster Bob Costas, and Olympic fencer Steven Sobel, who helped bring the Olympics to Los Angeles in 1984 and also led the charge for the inclusion of women's saber events in the Olympic Games. So while that's some pretty good company, I believe you are the first woman to win and the first Paralympian. How did it feel to win? Yeah, you know, I honestly, like, I think a lot of it was due to, I've been a part of the Paralympic movement now for, gosh, um, you know, 11 years. So I think kind of just kind of giving, being able to be a part of it for that prolonged period of time, um, you know, the organization that I started back in Chicago, Dare to Try, just kind of, so I guess just, I mean, I do the things I do because I love them, but kind of being recognized for them is pretty cool. And um, all three award winners were all female this year. And being a Paralympian, I mean, I'm always about kind of showcasing Paralympic athletes and just kind of what we do as well. So, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome to be nominated and I'm just honored to be awarded. And Melissa, so we're talking to you today about seven months out from the Paralympics in Tokyo in the summer of 2020. So we're curious about kind of where you are in your training and like what life is like right now and hopeful that maybe you could like frame it in the sense of how the lead up to the Olympics works in terms of like qualifying and who gets to go. Like we, Haley and I were looking up some stuff and we know that there was in the last six months or so, there was like a test event, a world champs and a world cup. And we know that you did the world cup, but the other Alyssa and Haley that you compete with (laughs) did the test event in the world champs. And so we were looking at this and we couldn't figure out really how the rankings and the point systems work. So maybe you can help us with that. 
yeah, it's um, it's confusing. It's confusing for me, and I like live it every day. So, so yeah. So obviously, the goal is Tokyo in the end of August of 2020, and we are in full training mode right now. And so, basically, the way that you qualify, there's not like one specific trials race. You go to various races, you get points. The points add up to a world ranking, and the goal is to be the highest in the world as 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 possible. So there's different tiered races. So there's like the top tier races, but they only take two Americans. So currently my competitors, Haley and Alyssa, Americans and my teammates are ranked above me, which means that typically I would not get into those races unless I have a special invite slot, which means the second tier races I can go to no problem. So I go to those races. Last year, I won three of them. And my hope is that because I won three of those, I'll get these special invite slots to attend the higher tiered races, which will then in turn get me more points and hopefully a higher world ranking um, to lead me in, in, into Tokyo. So it's confusing. Um, the, I, I, end of the day is I just need to race as much as I can and to do well in those races and hopefully um, make my world ranking kind of move it up um, steadily and see how high I can get. Can we have three Americans in the we, same, at the Olympics? We, we can have that. Well, we can. So, so for the Paralympics, they take two from each country, but they can do a special invite to a third American. So okay. in Rio in 2016, I was ranked top five in the world but it's an unusual circumstance with any with any sport and classification where we happen to have three Americans in the top five in the world. So I wasn't sure if I was going to go to Rio, even though I was ranked fifth in the world, but I got a special invite because of that. So my hope is that this year, I mean, you never know, but if let's say, you know, comes down a few months before Tokyo, I'm still that third American, but I'm ranked fourth or fifth in the world. My hope is that they want the best athletes there and that I'll get that special invite slot. And you ended up winning a bronze medal in Rio. So I know. it oh, was, I worked out. <laughs> yes, I do want to kind of follow up ask, because we asked this for a lot of our people, you know, our athletes that we interview who train in squads. So you, we mentioned Alyssa Seeley and Haley Dance, the paratriathletes in your same PTS2 classification, and they finished silver and bronze respectively in this year's world championships. And you train with them, uh, I believe on a day-to-day -day basis. So what is it yeah. like to train with the athletes that you're going to be competing against for medals i mean are you are you you know gold silver bronze it would be great to have american sweep or is it you know what are what are the like what is that dynamic like Oh, we are all about an, another American sweep. I mean, so it's, a, so it's a unique situation, right? So we are all competitors and we all want to beat each other when we get to that race. But when we train, I mean, it is, I don't know if it would work for everybody, but it works for us. I mean, we all kind of have our strengths. Like, you know, my strength is the swim. Haley's strength is the bike. Alyssa's strength is the run. So we kind of push each other on each one of those, but we encourage each other. We want each other to, to do well. I mean, we're genuinely happy when each other like gets faster in the pool or on the bike in the run. It's like, we're, we're true teammates. Um, they're great friends. We have fun along the way, but when that, when that race comes, we want to beat each other. But the goal is to, to be on that podium again with, with, with both of them in, in Tokyo. It's pretty awesome. I mean, it's a pretty awesome environment. I mean, I, I feel very lucky. I get to wake up and do what I love every day with like these amazing teammates and people that um, have just become great friends and competitors. And Haley, 
think are, are partial to any teammate combo of Alyssa. That's a strong one when you're working with them. While we're on the, the topic of the Olympic Games, after seeing two in person as an athlete yourself, are there any misconceptions about the Paralympics versus the standard Olympics that you've kind of heard of and, you know, can address? So I think they're getting better. So, you know, thanks to like, you know, mainstream media, whether it's, you know, commercials on TV or magazines or whatever they are, like they're showing more and more of our stories. And, um, I think the biggest misconception that some people may not know is that, you know, we, we don't just sign up and go to the Paralympic games. I mean, we have to, we train just as hard as Olympians. I mean, I'm training, you know, 15, 18 hours a week for a race. that takes me an hour and 20 minutes. So it's, um, we train just as hard as the Olympic level athletes do to, to get there. We don't just get to sign up and, and go. We have to beat our competitors, make certain times. And I mean, we're out there, I mean, doing the daily grind just as much as any other athletes. And you touched on this a little bit, but the, the media, you know, the media attention for both para para athletes versus able bodied athletes. And then also, women versus, you know, men there, that's hard, you know, and I do know that just this year, the U S Olympic committee formally changed its name to the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee. So can you talk a little bit about that, about being a female para athlete right now? Yeah. So, you know, we are slowly kind of, so we are like a lot of things have changed in the past year, which have been amazing for Paralympic athletes. So obviously the name change U S Olympic committee to the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee, they announced after the Winter Olympics in 2018 that the medal bonuses that the Paralympians get are now going to be the same as Olympians, where before they were, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars lower. So that, that was like a big step. So I feel like we're moving in the right direction to being treated as equals, as, as Olympians. But, I mean, I, I love being part of the movement. I mean, you see, like, I started, you know, nine years ago, and to kind of see where it was to where it's come. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be a Paralympian. It's, a, I mean, to be, to be a female, I mean, I, I, there's so much female empowerment out there and I love just being a, a, a part of it and kind of, I mean, especially now with, with a daughter of my own, like I love that she's going to grow up with that. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's a, as a female paratriathlete, I mean, there's a lot of, we, we can still continue to improve, but it's a pretty good time to be a part of it. And Melissa, the path that brought you to being an athlete was one that started while you were serving in the army stationed in Iraq. We talk about your background in the intro the, um, before this for our listeners, and we definitely encourage them to seek out your website and other podcasts you have been on for the full story. So we won't actually get into all of that background today. But what I am curious about, though, is if you feel like your journey to the Paralympics has been different or like, you know, a little bit more seamless as a veteran than some of the other para-athletes that you've met. You've had help from organizations like Wounded Warriors along the way, which kind of helped like carve your path into the sport and triathlon and the Olympics. So do you have any insight into the path that a non-veteran para-athlete takes and like how, I guess, have you, you know, have you kind of been able to compare these paths with, with your fellow athletes? obviously there's differences. We each have our own path that we take, right? Some have acquired our injuries 
you know, later in life, like I did, I was 24 years old. Others were born with their disability. So I think there's, they're different in a sense that like when I lost my leg at the age of 24, I was competing against, you know, people that had been living with a disability their whole life. So trying to kind of figure that out and it kind of, it's almost a disadvantage because I'm trying to like learn everything really quickly to kind of like catch up. At the same time though, there are so many opportunities out there for veterans. I mean, I, I lost my leg in 2004 in April and by December I had, you know, I learned how to ski on one leg. I had done the New York city marathon on a bike that you power with your arms. I had, you know, I, there were so many opportunities out there for me to take. And it helped me realize really early on after I lost my leg that I could still be an athlete. So I think in that sense, it's an advantage for veterans because there are those opportunities out there and we're able to, if you take advantage of them, you can kind of see, what you can do, I mean, very quickly after such a major, in, major traumatic incident. And what about being on Team USA? Because as a veteran, you obviously were on Team USA in a you know different capacity, and now you you know if anyone looks at your Instagram, we, they see that you post your Flag Fridays, and you are obviously very very proud of the United States and to continue to represent Team USA. So it's being on Team USA as a paratriathlete now, does that help satisfy that original call you felt to honor your country? Oh, yes, it does. Yeah. So I, I get asked a lot why I joined the army and I joined the army because I love our country. So pretty short and sweet. And I, I gave my leg while serving our country and to be able to now represent that country that I defended over in Iraq and to wear, you know, a, a different, but yet very similar uniform while representing our country on the world's biggest athletic stage. I mean, it, representing our country and, and wearing that USA and that flag. I mean, that, that never gets old. I mean, it's it, what it, it motivates me. It inspires me. It makes me want to be the best athlete I can be. I mean, yes, that's kind of everything that um, I stand for. So definitely. Melissa, when you returned to the U S after your stay in the U S hospital in Baghdad, you were brought to Walter Reed, which I believe is just outside of DC. And I imagine in this time, like, as you said, from April to December around this time, right, you were kind of given all of these opportunities that you could take advantage of and things like that. And I imagine that you were also surrounded by a lot of people who you formed some special bonds with and were kind of instrumental to your healing physically and emotionally. So are there any special relationships that stand out for you in this time that you could tell us about? Yeah. So I, so at Walter Reed, yeah, you're right. It's, it's it was right outside of Washington, D.C. at the time. And so the military has this like strong heritage of like camaraderie to start with. So you're in the military, like I am my platoon, my my soldiers. I mean, we are we are a cohesive unit. And then you take those that have been like severely wounded and you're put in the situations at Walter Reed, where you're all putting these situations that you never expected. You're trying to find like your new normal and you become that camaraderie is like really stronger than ever. And then you take it down another notch to females who are, have been wounded and we're at the hospital together, again, trying to like find our what our new path in life is going to be. So at Walter Reed, um, I was the first female there. And then soon after came four other women. And we became, we had a pretty special bond because we were the only females there. We, we were newly injured. Um, we had served our country and 
we have all kind of gone on to like our own paths in life, but to do pretty remarkable things. And it just so happened that all of us had kids within um, like eight months of each other, within like eight months of each other. So we called ourselves the band of mothers and we kind of all came together again about 10 years after we were injured. They did a feature on the Today Show. So kind of that band of mothers and that like female bond that we had, I mean, that's pretty special. And it's something that I mean, I don't see if I don't see him for 10 years at a time, you just get together and it just feels like family. And Melissa, you talk about one in, you know, in your talks, you talk about how perseverance is a skill. And we love that idea because it means that perseverance isn't something you necessarily have to be born with. It is something you can work on and develop when you are looking back on times when you were developing this skill and when this skill was tested how did you, you know, develop your perseverance and how did it help you stay the course through all areas of life? So I think I, I think it kind of started when I was younger. So I, I have amazing parents. They always like whatever I wanted to do. They never said no. Like you're always like, go do it. If I if I failed, well, then they would help me deal with that and move on to the next thing. So I think it started at a pretty young age. And I was a gymnast when I was younger and, you know, dreamt of going to the Olympics as a gymnast. And um, so I think just kind of being a young athlete and kind of, you know, learning those skills that you need to be a successful athlete as a, as a young girl. And then transitioning into the military where I think, I mean, the military, it's, it's not always easy. I mean, you have to, I mean, talk about perseverance. I mean, you persevere through being away from your family. You persevere through staying up all night or through these, you know, difficult rook marches, whatever it may be. It's, a, it's a, also a type of perseverance. And I think after losing my leg, it was, I, I didn't want to let losing a leg stop me from doing anything that I wanted to do with my life. So kind of accepting it really early on, realizing that I was one of the lucky ones because I had my life. I had three good limbs, my mind, my eyesight, and wanting to kind of live my life for those who had given that ultimate, ultimate sacrifice. So to me, there was really no choice. I mean, I wasn't going to let it stop me. So, you know, persevering through and really just ending up, I mean, honestly, I've ended up better on the other side. And surrounding myself with, you know, family and friends that love me, care about me, and just really believing that I could get through it. Was it hard when everything was just moving so fast, like to be able to process all of that, you know, like, I mean, you, you lose your leg and then, you know, you have these incredible communities and everything around you, giving you opportunities and helping you and supporting you. Did you ever kind of, you know, I almost get the sense that like in something like this, sometimes you might just want to like sit and process things, you know? And so like what, but I also get the sense that you're someone who likes to go and you're very optimistic and you want to be, you know, forward moving and no matter what that looks like in your life. Right. So what would you tell our listeners who are kind of facing this time and they're like half overwhelmed, but half really grateful for all the support that they have? You know, I, I think, yeah, I saw, I, I definitely am very optimistic, positive person, but I think, and anyone that says that they're like that all the time, I don't think that's realistic. I mean, there are times where I, I, I mean, I get upset just like everyone else does. If it's, you know, I have hard days, you wake up, you don't want to go jump in a pool at 6.30 a.m. I mean, yes, those days are there. And sometimes sometimes you have to kind of take those moments to sit there and, and reflect on why you do the things that you do. And like, I think I like, I like to tell people, you know, when it, like we all have these goals and these dreams, or if you don't, you, you should, because I think that's what helps you be able to, when you have those moments and you're not sure 
if you want to get up out of bed or you're not sure if you want to keep going, well, you can kind of sit back and reflect on, on why you're doing it. And not only that, but I think we're all very fortunate to live the lives that we do and we take it for granted a lot. A lot of times at the end of the day, we think about the bad things that happened in the day and take time to reflect on how, how good we have it. I mean, we all lead an, an amazing life. I mean, we have roofs over our head. We have food that we can eat. You know, we have the luxury to go out and run down the street um, to do the races we want to do. So all those things, I mean, just reflect on how lucky we are to do them and that, we get to do what, what we love and just to be, I, I don't know, just to go out there and, and do it to make your life what, what you want it to be because we had the, the luxury to do that. And this optimism, have you always had that? Or is this something that you've been able to develop because you went through something as traumatic as losing a limb? I mean, did that just make everything else, every other challenge in life seem like no big deal? I mean, you've been in Iraq, you've You've seen terrible things. Did it help change your approach to everyday life? Did it help change your approach to sport? Because you just have this different perspective. Yeah, so I've, I've always been... Uh... I've always been a positive person, like the glass is half full kind of person. But I think after losing a leg and it's, you know, I, I mean, honestly, like I almost lost my life. And so, yes, I mean, I've, I've become a more thankful, more grateful. I mean, I definitely have my moments where I, you know, you're annoyed at, you know, the traffic in the road and you don't want to think about how lucky you are to have a car because you're sitting in this traffic and you just want the traffic to move. I mean, yes, but I think it has given me just this whole new perspective you know, in a race when I'm running and it hurts and it gets hard. I mean, like I did Ironman Arizona in 2013 and at mile 20, I was like, what on earth am I doing here? Like I was miserable. It's dark. I have glow sticks. Like I'm by myself. And I had to like dig deep. And I realized I was running because I could be like, I had the luxury of being out and being alive and running. And that kind of got me through to the end. So it kind of gives me that added perspective. Um, you know, sometimes I have to dig really deep to find it, especially when it's, when things are hard, when it's hard and when it hurts, but I mean, it's there. So yeah, it definitely kind of gave me that new perspective. And Melissa, we encourage everyone to go find your Ted talk about the power of choice. And in this, you talk about how the power of choice has been a superpower for you in many ways. Since this has happened, you held the power to choose to learn to ski. You chose to go to the Paralympics. And that message is very powerful for the thousands of adults. You've now had the privilege to speak before at events all over. But I know a lot of our listeners out there also have young children like you. And have you thought since being a mother about how to express this lesson about the power of choice to young children and how could we can instill this in them before they have to experience something so traumatic and kind of learn it for themselves? Oh, as a mother, I need all the advice I can get. I will tell you that. I mean, I think I, I like personally as a mom, I, I feel like leading by example is the best way to teach your kids. I think they follow what, what you do. So when I go and you get, you know, whatever, if you, like saying thank you to the person behind the counter or helping someone open the door. I mean, those little things, I think that they eventually learn and they like follow by, by, by example, at least I hope that they do. I don't know. I mean, I go and I speak to, you know, young kids, like kindergartners, you know, elementary schools, and I tell them my story. And I, you know, I end with that. We all have the power to choose and, you know, in their young minds, trying to help them understand that, you know, things will come their way in their life that they don't expect. And there are these obstacles and they're hard, but they can do it. And, you know, to believe in themselves. But I mean, I don't know if that works. I, I mean, I have no idea. Like with my own kids, I mean, 
they're five and two and my five-year-old kind of, I mean, they both know I'm missing a leg, but my five-year-old kind of knows why, but kind of doesn't, he doesn't really get it yet. And yeah, I just hope by like leading the lives that we do and I like being a mom that looks a little bit different because I show him firsthand that you can still get out there and do the things that you want to do. But yeah, I mean, I, I need advice too. I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that to get to, to your kids. It's, that's hard. What about the same question related to adults because you coach and part of the reason this interview even came to place was because I re- met one of your athletes, Molly, and she helped connect mm-hmm. us. So how do you help, you know, adults learn about the power of choice when they already have kind of their own experiences and their own, you know, kind of set in their ways ideas and you're helping them through sport? Yeah. First of all, Molly is awesome. I love that you had the chance to meet her. Adults, so you know, like we've we've all grown up with our own ways of doing things, and sometimes it's it's hard to change people's mindset. It's hard to convince them that you know maybe they should look at things a little bit differently. So I think just being encouraging, where if somebody has a bad day or doesn't want to go do a workout or has a hard workout, like saying that that it's that's okay. Like we all have bad days, we all have bad workouts, and it doesn't mean the next one's going to be bad too. And just kind of the idea that things take time, progress doesn't happen overnight. Like little progress does, but the big progress happens at the end. So just kind of keeping that constant reminder that not every workout has to be perfect. If you miss a workout, it's not the end of the world. I mean, we all miss workouts every now and then. And just to try to help them keep that positive attitude that, again, we're lucky to be doing the things that we do, get up out of bed every day and just, I mean, enjoy it, like make your life good and what, whatever makes you happy. I mean, do that. And every year in April, you celebrate the day that you lost your leg back in 2004. So some people might find it weird that you celebrate such a traumatic event. So why would you encourage others that it can be okay to celebrate celebrate that kind of like experience? Yeah. So every April 13th, um, we celebrate little legs birthday. So I named what's left of my leg, little leg, and she'll be 16 in 2020. So she's like getting her driver's license, but it's become this, this event. So again, I think I, I touched on it earlier, but instead of mourning the loss of something that happened so many years ago, we kind of turn that around and you celebrate what you still have. So you celebrate being alive and, you know, the fact that I have three good limbs and, you know, my life. And April 13th has become this event where like family and friends fly in and we don't just celebrate little legs life in my life, but my hope is that everyone that comes can kind of celebrate their own life. I mean, you know, we celebrate our lives and our birthdays every year, but other than your birthday, I mean, when's the last time that any of us actually like sat there and thought about how lucky we are. So my hope is that everyone that comes kind of helps them realize just how lucky we are. And we celebrate, there's dancing, you know, we, there's drinks, we kind of drink out of my prosthetic leg, but that's for those that come to really experience, but it's just become a great celebration time for reflection and just celebrating. I mean, being alive. Melissa, you, we touched on your coaching earlier, but you're also the co-founder of Dare to Try, a Paralympic club. Can you tell us a little bit about Dare to Try? And if any of our listeners want to uh, get involved in some way supporting that club, how could they go about doing that? Yes. So Dare to Try, the number two, then TRI, um, paratriathlon club. So in 2011, um, I co-founded it with um, two of my friends in Chicago, and we found there was a need for 
to have some sort of para, a triathlon club for athletes with physical disabilities. So our goal was to, the first year was to, you know, a modest, you know, seven athletes to the starting line of a triathlon that had physical disabilities and to kind of get them through to that finish line. And it has grown, I mean, incredibly over the past nine years. And we provide the the expensive adaptive equipment that athletes with disabilities need, whether it be, you know, the racing wheelchairs, hand cycles. We have connections with those that make artificial limbs for running legs, biking prosthetic legs. Um, we have year-round year programming in Chicago where we have weekly practices. We serve youth, adults, injured service members. We have specific camps throughout the year for all those different subsets. And, you know, our motto is one inspires many. And we have athletes that, you know, we want to take them at the grassroots level and we want to show them that just because they're in a wheelchair or they can't see or they're missing a leg or an arm, they can still get out there and ride a bike with their family. They can get to that starting line of a triathlon. They can swim, bike and run. They can finish that triathlon. And it's just like you see the self-confidence, the self-worth. I mean, it is incredible the power of sport when you give somebody the resources to be able to do it. So our motto, one inspires many, our athletes inspire both on and off the race course. And it's definitely one of my proudest professional accomplishments. And our website, www.dare2try, um, again, the number two, tri.com. And you can see what we do. You can see if there's an event near you. You can become a volunteer. You can actually do a triathlon with one of our athletes. Obviously, financial resources. We're always looking for ways to fund, ways to get the adaptive equipment to our athletes and have them traveling from camp. So yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. And I'm just pretty thrilled that I'm a part of it. We will definitely link to that in our show notes as well for the listeners. Um, and then in the meantime, over the next few months in 2020, how can our listeners follow your journey to Tokyo? So the best way uh, is social media, Instagram and Twitter. It's M Stockwell, S T O C K W E L L zero one. And then on Facebook is Melissa Stockwell USA. And yeah, I, I, I think I definitely kind of let anyone that follows along kind of follow the journey, whether it's training, being a mom, um, you know, the combination of being a mom and, and trying to be an elite level athlete. So yeah, um, it, it'd be great if you follow, followed along and hopefully it ends in Tokyo. When do you find out whether or not you made Tokyo? Yeah, not till like July. So oh, wow. they don't give you much time. We race August, I think it's like August 28th or 29th. And it's like five weeks before that we find out. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, want, yeah. I, I did want to sneak in one last question here because my mom is a big fan of yours. And it is because <laughs> she saw you on the Modelo beer commercial and <laughs> it got her to Google you. And then it also <laughs> got her to go buy Modelo beer, which I love that because that's like the power that. of sponsorship, right? Yeah. So can you give a shout out to, to a couple of your sponsors or, and also tell us what it was like to film a beer commercial. It sounds like kind of fun. We don't get many people on here who've done that. <laughs> Yes, I, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate with the sponsors that I had that like believe in, in, in me and my journey and this journey to Tokyo. So some of the major sponsors, I mean, Toyota is a major sponsor and they've kind of helped me really see through mo their whole campaign is like power through mobility. So just kind of, I mean, I wait, I can't do what I do without needing my prosthetic devices. So just, um, so Toyota, um, P and G Ralph Lauren, the Modelo beer commercial. I mean, I got to go fly out to California, spend this day like swimming in the ocean. There was a seal that was swimming with me. And then I was biking up this hill and then running. And, you know, Modelo has a connection with 
uh, with a veteran organization. They support veterans. So to, to kind of be a part of that campaign and hopefully um, a lot of the, the viewership has realized that they're now connected through veterans and, and help veterans kind of find their next journey in life after they are have gotten out of the military. So yeah, to be a part of all that, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to yeah, have these people share my journey with me and just believe in me. And um, it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky girl. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. As Alyssa said, we'll link to all of your social media and on our, in our show notes. So hopefully our listeners can follow you along and cheer for you on the road to Tokyo, along with all the other paratriathletes, because it is, it is very cool to have another avenue to celebrate our sport. So thank you again. Thank you guys. Thanks for all you guys do too. It's awesome to be a part of. Thank you. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. We know all of you are very excited about the Tokyo Games coming up this summer, so if you want to watch the PTS2 category racers racing triathlon in the Paralympics, including hopefully Melissa Stockwell, as well as the other Haley and Alyssa. We could be going for another Team USA sweep. That event is scheduled for Saturday, August 29th. So mark your calendars. Alyssa, is your calendar marked? I am so excited. It's an Olympic year. You have no idea. This is like my favorite. Absolutely my favorite. Yes. You're in the trials. There's triathlon this summer. There's like so many things. So many things. It's a great time to be a sports fan of any kind, whether you're an athlete or not. It's a great time. But we'll also link to Melissa's website, melissastockwell.com, as well as her social media, daretotry.com, her charity in the show notes. So definitely check those out. And of course, thanks for all of our returning listeners in 2020. We wish you a happy new year. We welcome in anyone who's just finding us. And please feel free to rate and review us on the app that you choose to download the Iron Women podcast on. We really appreciate it and it does help. So anything you can do there would be appreciated. And of course, a huge welcome back to Zelios as a returning sponsor for 2020. Thank you. Alyssa, enjoy this second week of our first full week of 2020, second week of 2020. And I will talk to you next week. Bye Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a Live Feisty Media production.